Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, you'll hear three Gensler colleagues explore ways you can leverage utilization and activity data to improve your workplace. We're excited that you joined us to learn more about leveraging utilization and activity data to improve your workplace. I'm Dara Arnold, a studio director at Gensler and your moderator for today. I co-lead our team that specializes in developing and managing Gensler's space and occupancy platform, also known as WISP, and our iPad app Observe, which is used for utilization and activity studies. You will hear, hear both WISP and Observe mentioned throughout the presentation today. We're very passionate about helping clients collect, analyze, and leverage utilization and activity data to transform their real estate portfolios and elevate their workplace experience. Today, we'll hear from two of our experts on this topic. I'm grateful to have Mitchell Bobman and Joan Myers with me. Mitchell is a member of our analytics team. He works alongside our strategists and designers on all sorts of projects, helping them to collect data, synthesize and analyze it, and ultimately to develop insights and make recommendations. Joan is a principal and managing director. She guides our team in delivering software and services that bring clarity to corporate portfolios and leverages data to inform strategy. Her deep understanding and experience in data integrity project management and spatial data management lend to her unique perspective on innovative solutions. I'll hand it over to Mitchell and Joan in just a moment, but before doing so, let's preview our agenda for today. To start out, I'll share the fundamental differences between utilization and activity data. Mitchell will share methods for capturing this type of data along with client stories. Joan will share how you can get started with this data to improve your workplace. So let's start out with the difference between utilization and activity data. With utilization data, we learn how often a space is used throughout the day. Through working with our clients, we've learned that questions about utilization come up early in the conversation when planning a real estate strategy. And we agree, it is definitely a key metric for workplace decisions. But with utilization data, we miss out on what's happening in each space. And that's where the value of activity data comes in. We've also learned through years of working with our clients that it's valuable to understand the activity or how the space is being used, in addition to understanding how often the space is used. As a few examples for what can be learned from activity data, we can gain insights on how people work and what they're doing at their desks or in collaboration spaces. We can assess whether conference rooms are being used effectively or as designed, and we can understand what equipment is being utilized. This data is valuable to inform your design and workplace strategy or to measure the success of it. Insights of what can be derived from activity data are unique for each client, and it depends on several things, such as the size of an organization, the industry, culture, and their strategic goals. Now I'll turn it over to Mitchell, who will share some of his experiences with this topic, along with some unique client stories. Thanks, Dara. So um, when it comes to collecting uh, data, whether it's utilization or any types, there's typically two extremes in, in how you can approach it. Um, one option can be you go out and collect data and then see what questions you can answer with it later on, or you identify these questions first and then 
use that to back into what types of data you'll need to eventually answer it. And so my personal preference uh, in the projects that, that I've worked on has been the latter. Um, they've been some of the more creative and impactful projects. And in terms of utilization data, they tend to fall within one of three major categories. So these types of questions can be around utilization. So understanding the utilization of a workplace over time, understanding things like mobile and co-working support, um, maybe optimal sizes and quantities and locations of collaboration spaces, uh, or they might be around financial or real estate impact, um, prioritizing capital projects over time, things like phasing, deciding whether you need to acquire or shed real estate, uh, or they could be about human capital, um, using utilization data to help optimize workflows or processes, understand things like health and wellness, maybe improve your net promoter score. And so, um, you know, while you need to be able to answer these questions, you're going to ultimately need uh, data to help answer them. And the types of data for utilization can come from uh, many sources and in many types. And uh, a couple of major buckets that we like to group these uh, types of data are facilities, observational, sensory, exhaust, and secondary. So facilities or often operational data um, is typically generated from facilities management systems or HR or finance teams uh, in order to manage space or personnel or both. So this can be information related to headcount, like departmental role. It can be floor plans or CAFM data. It could be space assignments or maybe in real estate data such as CapEx or OpEx, conditions assessment, things like that. Then you have observational data. So it takes that information and really generates in a different way. So this is typically based by things like surveys or interviews meant to better understand employees or facilities. So while they can be as simple as is a space occupied, um, it can get into some of the more activity-based information like Dara was talking about. So how many people are in a space? Is technology being used? how many people are wearing red shirts, you can get a lot more granular or specific with the types of questions that you want to answer with observational data. Uh, and so a couple examples of that type of data is uh, our observe app with Dara mentioned or uh, workplace performance index, something that Kensler does. It's uh, around understanding how um, the relationship between a workplace and the people that use it. So I won't get into too much detail because I know I have some fun things planned with those over the course of the summer, but um, they're just two examples of how observational data can be generated. Then there's sensory. That's one of the more popular and exciting ones. Uh, that's data generated by sensors in a physical space. Uh, so it's utilization or occupancy sensors, climate or environmental sensors, apps and beacons, things like that. Then you have exhaust data, which can be a lot more powerful than people think. So uh, what exhaust data is, is a byproduct of an existing operational system already in use. So it can be things like wireless network activity, maybe data from conference room reservations or security badge data. It's things that organizations are already collecting and already generating. They just might not be using it for utilization. Uh, and the last is secondary data, which is typically uh, really useful for context in a problem. So uh, these are publicly available or subscription-based data sets used to supplement analysis. So when you see things like benchmark comparisons or data around a real estate market, uh, that's typically coming from a secondary data source, something that someone's purchasing or acquiring, um, maybe not in that specific project, but then applying it towards that. 
And so from a boots on the ground perspective, not only uh, is all this data coming in different forms, shapes and sizes, but they're also coming from different teams within an organization. So, you know, it's, uh, it's all about corralling your facilities team and your IT teams and your HR teams to, to track down this information. Um, the other question around this type of data that I get asked a lot is, uh, what's the right type of data and information for my project? And so, in addition to the fact that data comes in forms, shapes, and sizes, uh, all these different types of data have their own strengths and weaknesses. And a couple of lenses that are pretty useful to understand these strengths and weaknesses can be scalability, granularity, and accuracy. So with scalability, it's understanding whether a specific type of data is helpful for the type of problem you're trying to approach. Um, you know, if you're trying to understand utilization of a seat through a seat sensor, that might make sense for a couple seats. But if you have 30,000 seats across a global portfolio, maybe it's not as scalable as, let's say, exhaust data or facilities data. Granularity, how closely aligned to the data is, is to the questions that I hope to answer. So um, similarly, exhaust data around how much people use a Wi-Fi network might be great information, but it won't tell you maybe a more specific question you hope to answer that something like a survey can really get very accurate on. Um, and speaking of accuracy, the last lens that uh, we often put this through is how trustworthy is this information? Um, you know, you'll ultimately be making capital decisions or operational decisions based on this data that you collect. Um, and do you feel confident in that being the backbone of it? And it's important that this doesn't just apply for the data itself, but also the management of it. So, you know, for example, looking at facilities data, one thing they've seen in larger companies um, is that the larger you are, the harder it is to maintain facility management systems and headcount data. And, you know, using the term garbage in, garbage out is something that, you know, gets thrown around a lot, but um, there really are implications to being complacent around the data quality of these different systems. So just because you have a certain type of system in place doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's going to keep track of itself on its own. So one of these types of data, sensory data, not only is it one specific type, but it also comes in many shapes and sizes. So you've got um, motion sensors, you've got sensors embedded in CO2 in the air systems, uh, embedded in the lights, uh, infrared, in cameras. And at the end of the day, surveys are also still a type of sensor. Um, they just might not have the bells and whistles and gravitas that some of the others do. And in a similar way, all these different types of sensors also have their own strengths and weaknesses um, in terms of the type of technology and and the feasibility of implementing these things. And so, you know, all of this reminding around strengths and weaknesses is just to drive home the ideas that, that no one technology is going to answer every question for you. Um, and no one sensor is gonna be able to answer every question for you. And so at the end of the day, it's about um, the fact that all these sensors and these different data sets are tools within your toolbox. And sometimes you might need to bring out multiple bells and whistles and buzzsaws and lasers and sometimes you just need a hammer. So understanding the fact that these are all tools at your disposal and understanding when to implement what um, is a really important thing to remember. And so uh, the next thing we'll do is walk through a couple examples of where we did use some of these tools to solve uh, real-world problems with clients. 
So the first one that comes up a lot is um, understanding utilization data for informing interiors programming. So we had a client that came to us and said, hey, we have um, you know, 4,000 plus people at a headquarters campus. We know we're gonna wanna do some type of inter intervention on the campus in the future, but before we do that, let's understand how our campus works today. So we work with them and collected everything from uh, observe app data to data through WISP, through our workplace performance index, um, data from the conference room reservation system, from the Wi-Fi, ID badges, uh, HR metadata, and understood that when we wanted to answer different questions, we could overlay one to all seven if needed. And so these types of questions ranged from what's our average utilization for workstations and offices, then might get a little bit more specific in terms of, oh, how does this compare across our different business units? Then we can start to overlay even more things like, okay, we can use utilization data to understand how uh, reservable spaces, so like conference rooms, huddle rooms, uh, how often they're used. But then we have another source of quote unquote truth, which is our reservation system. Well, can we put some of the concepts of the people squatting and the no-shows for meeting rooms that happen in nearly every workplace and put some real hard data to that and understand what our inefficiencies are? And so you can do that, right? You can understand when you overlay these two data sets across one another, um, a more robust version of what this reality looks like on the floor. Um, and with all these collaboration spaces, they're becoming a much more um, important focus for workplace. And so can we help right-size the amount and the size of these rooms um, more better than they are today? So, you know, one thing we often see is that roughly three quarters of all the meetings that happen in a workplace are between four people or fewer. And so does the class with this client fit what the size of their meetings are like? Um, can we look and see yes, there's a meeting going on in this 14-person conference room, but it's just two people. Do they need all that space? Do they need all that capacity? Um, so it's a way of just helping to get a lot more specific, helping to right-size the type of space they need so that when they do want to start to implement some interventions, whether it's renovations, whether it's new construction, they know uh, what type of space they need and uh, what type of use to anticipate in it. And so um, while understanding shared utilization from a space standpoint is important, um, this data can also be useful for an operational strategy. So we had another client that was already collecting all sorts of utilization data, using it to help inform um, you know, their key space decisions, but wanted to look at mobility. And came to us and said, well, we're collecting all this um, observational data already, is there a way that we can use that to help make the most well-informed decision? And so what we did was we put together what we called a mobility adoption index. It used data for utilization, as well as some information around these different departments in the company. So, you know, what type of space do they use? or do they need for a workplace? How large are they, right? It's probably easier to implement things across a smaller group than a very large group that's spread out. Um, and can we help to understand what groups might be most um, ideal to be innovators in mobility, early adopters, early majority, late majority, uh, laggards? And so not to say that this is the, the gospel for how they should implement a strategy, but you know, can this send them on the right track to understand 
how to make these operational decisions. Uh, and the one thing that was interesting about this project was we basically used uh, observational data as exhaust data. So it was already being collected for purpose A and it's just sitting there. So why not think about how you can use it in another way or find more creative questions that you can answer with things that have already been collected. You've already done the grunt work. So let's get creative with it. And uh, the last project that I'll run through, which uh, was also really fun to work on, was a project we did with Northwestern University here in Chicago. And uh, the challenge that they had was they had roughly 2 million square feet of common spaces. So your uh, lobbies, your bathrooms, your corridors, spaces that everyone used uh, that had a lot of uh, impact and tension, but limited capital. They're you know hired institution. They only have so much to spend every year. How do you prioritize how your money gets spent across a campus or an institution? And so the project as a whole was around prioritizing spaces. So um, we used the Observe app and WISP and uh, Wi-Fi metadata in a really meaningful way to help them prioritize which spaces they might want to invest in first. And the role that Wi-Fi data played in this project was uh, really interesting because we took this Wi-Fi data across their whole campus and basically used it to identify one of two pieces that were really important. So uh, as an institution, they wanted to identify high-value projects. And for them, the definition of high-value meant relatively low cost and high impact. And how can you measure high impact um, across all sorts of times of the year, across all sorts of users, faculty, staff, students, um, Wi-Fi data across a really large campus can be a really scalable way to understanding that. So we're able to collect this data over a long period of time without having to you know, send interns or students out on clipboards and collecting this information. And we're able to understand a holistic view of utilization across you know, the summer period, the winter period, you know, reading, reading week, uh, exam week, and help them identify spaces that really get touched by a lot of people so that when they can go and look at their capital for the year, they know that the spaces that they're um, spending money on are ones that are gonna have this high impact for them. And so, um, you know, these are three examples of really what the end game looks like and uh, some of these really creative questions and, and how it looks when it's all cleaned and polished and implemented. But um, you know, one thing that's uh, always uh, in conversation is, is all the work that it takes to get to that point and all the, all the steps that you need to take to get there. And, uh, and Joan, I think that's, uh, you're the best person to talk about uh, how to get from, from square one to where I was talking about. So I'll flip it over to you. Hi listeners, this edition of What's Next is sponsored by Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Businesses are choosing Michigan for its diverse and abundant workforce, business-friendly environment, low cost of living, global supply chain assets, and more. Visit michiganbusiness.org and click on site selection to learn more. Now back to the show. Great. Thanks, Mitchell. So I have been working with data for a long time. And um, as Dara said, I am still just as passionate today about the integrity of data as I was when I first started. And that's because um, with every project that I work on, if there's no integrity behind the data, it's just a lot of data. And it's not nearly as meaningful as one might think 
um, you know, the, the common perception is that data is great and having more of it is exactly what you want. But if there's no integrity behind that data, it's just really a lot of data. So we all know that real estate is very expensive and it doesn't matter if you're leasing a space or if you own a space, it's just expensive. And so with nobody really having a monetary to my knowledge, it makes sense that you wanna understand um, you know, how your space is being utilized and how you can maximize the, the space that you already have. So with that, where do you start? So the very first thing that you want to do um, is really understand what is the question that you're looking to answer and be as specific here as you can because a lot of times what, what we hear is that people want to just understand how their space is being utilized. Um, but the very next question typically ends up being, well, what were they doing in the space? So very similar to what Mitchell was saying earlier, taking some time up front to really identify what questions are you trying to answer is key. And so it may be just about utilization, but it may also be, well, what is that financial impact? Or it might be about your people and how do you make them um, more productive in your space? So be as specific as you can at this point. Once you understand what the question is, then you're going to want to go through and identify what tools do we need to actually get at that data to answer the question. And there are many different types of sensors out, more coming out on the market each day, every day. Um, so I'm not going to go into all the different types of sensors, but it doesn't matter whether it's a sensor or it's um, data that you already have, you're going to want to understand some certain aspects of that that tool. So the first one um, is depth of data. And what do I mean by that? If you're looking, the examples that we've had, you know, a couple of times already, if you're looking to understand, um, you know, what is actually being used in your collaboration spaces, is it the technology? Are people actually talking? Are they using the whiteboard and stuff? You need to understand that if you have a sensor, for example, can that sensor answer those questions? Um, so understand what the capabilities are and the depth of information that you're going to get from any tool that you're considering. Cost is always a factor um, because, as we know, some things that may look to be very cost effective in the end, you might not get the information that you're actually looking for to answer your questions. So, um, you know, pay attention to that by all means, but also keep in mind those questions that you're really trying to answer. Accuracy, that's another thing that um, no, no two things are created equal. We all know that. And it certainly is the case here as well. So once, a uh, quick story here, in, at Gensler, we were testing out some camera sensors. And when we um, were looking at the actual data, we found that one room was utilized 100% of the time. And we took a step back and said, well, that seems really odd. So we should probably look into that a little bit. And what we found was that this particular camera sensor um, couldn't distinguish between a real person or a body in the room um, as opposed to a Christmas tree. And so the Christmas tree was being picked up as a person, which is you know kind of funny when you look back at it. But uh, the reality is, is that the integrity of the data for that room for the whole time we were studying with that particular sensor is really out the window because now we can't tell by looking at data alone whether or not the utilization was actual utilization or if it was the Christmas tree. So, you know, identifying 
the accuracy of, again, whatever tool you're using, that is really important for your end result to answer the, the question. Ease of implementation and privacy, I talk about these together because to me they go hand in hand, um, especially when you're looking at sensors because, um, you know, installing a seat sensor to understand if a, a, a desk or a conference room seat is being used or utilized seems very straightforward. But if thought isn't put into how you're going to roll that out to your staff or your workplace, um, there may be a sense of big brother. And then uh, what we have seen from that approach is that behaviors change. And remembering the questions again that we're trying to answer nine times out of 10, you don't want behavior to change. So you want it to be um, as, as point on as a normal you know, work day or week or whatever that may be as possible. So keep that in mind that just because something is maybe one of the most cost effective and easy to implement, um, it may not serve your purpose long term if it's not rolled out right with that change management to, to the overall staff to understand, you know, what the purpose is of that. Um, and then your study time frame. Again, there's really probably not a silver bullet answer to any of this type of stuff. So more than likely, you're going to use two, three different sources of data. So it's really important that no matter which tools um, you're using, that you're using them for the same time frame. So that when you start to do your analysis, it's um, truly comparing apples to apples and getting that answer that you're looking for. So the next thing you're going to want to do then is once you've picked out the tools and we know what the question is, we actually want to collect the data. And this can be very fun. I enjoy this part. But it also may not be as straightforward as one might think. So if you walk the space, um, you may also need to take into account, um, you know, who is actually going to be doing that? Are you going to use your own staff? Are you going to hire temps to do that regardless of whether it's your own staff or temps, you're gonna to wanna to plan in uh, time for training to make sure that, that whoever is walking the floor to um, capture the observations that you're, you've got the same um, mindset. So you have that level of integrity when you start to analyze the data. It may mean that you have room reservation systems already in place and you need your IT team involved to get you that data for the um, appropriate time frame. Or HR, you might want departmental data. You may have um, sensors already in place and then the question becomes, do, do you as an organization own that and have access to that data or do you need to contact that, that other vendor or the provider of that specific type of um, sensor to get the data from them. So all of that stuff needs to be taken into account um, and then you actually collect the data. So once you've got the data then, it's time to actually analyze it. And one of the things that um, you know is not very well known if you don't typically work in this area is that you can put in the effort up front and you have all the right tools, the right time frame, and you've done everything that you can. But when it comes time to actually layer and join those data sets, data in and of itself is inherently dirty that way. So you need to have um, you know, the appropriate people lined up to actually analyze and normalize the data um, for you from all of the different sources. Because again, it's probably, um, multiple sources that you're going to want to join together to get the actual analysis. Um, there's also in many organizations, uh, Gensler included, we have a lot of people who are very, very good and skilled at working with data. But it's been my experience that when it comes time to actually 
analyze it, it pays to have a true analyst do that step because otherwise it's just, um, you know, you're, you're potentially missing out on multiple ways to, to look at that data from a different vantage point. To, again, all trying to help um, answer the questions that you identified up front. So once you've got that, then there's, you know, you can look at charts and graphs and you can depict the um, information or the utilization on a floor plan, um, whether it's from walking the floor with, you know, a observe a tool that way, or it can be the data that you've collected from your reservation system. All of that information can be displayed on floor plans or charts and graphs, again, all driving to the um, initial question that you were trying to answer. So then what you've got um, from the analysis will inform your strategy and so it may support your strategy or it may lead to more questions that you're going to want to you know maybe take a step back and answer a little bit in more detail so a uh, few years ago i was working with a client and they were really taking um, a pretty radical approach at that time of changing their entire um, floor plan they were introducing a lot of new technology um, they were introducing some agile working environments, neighborhoods. Um, so they were trying to change how people worked in addition to, you know, spending a lot of time up front, um, you know, understanding what their needs were, both uh, at the present time and then where they were trying to go. And so what they did was they decided to pilot their new strategy and they um, built out a floor with all the technology and everything that they had in their plan. And then they studied it. They used observe and, you know, capturing utilization and everything. And they found that one area of the floor um, was not being used. And I personally was at this company and I, I walked the floor and the area, it was just beautiful. It was, you know, a lot of nice seating and all this stuff, but it just wasn't being used. And so that particular space um, throughout the entire floor wasn't being used and people just couldn't adapt to that. So they went back and they tweaked a few things, they made a little bit of modifications and they changed just that area of the floor. And then we watched it again. And those few minor changes were um, actually very beneficial because then the staff just inherently knew how to use that space. And so then they modified their um, strategies and then they started rolling out with this new design in this one area of the floor. So if you ever have, um, you know, a lot of change uh, in your strategy that you're trying to implement, always consider um, a pilot, whether it's a floor or a building, it, it probably is going to be very beneficial for you to have a pilot in place. So the last thing that you're gonna wanna keep in mind is that like everything else, um, things are constantly changing. So you've got you know, new generations being brought into the workplace. You've got different types of work styles and different modes. Technology is always changing. So it makes sense that, you, that you know, something like this, understanding your workplace um, utilization and activity is not a once and done type of thing. So um, keep that in mind that everything is, is changing and to really stay on top of it, you're gonna probably want to do this repeatedly over time to make sure that the space is being used um, to its fullest potential. Great, thank you, Mitchell and Joan, for sharing your expertise and those stories. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? 
Visit CornetGlobal.org to learn more.